the Black Scholars Podcast. BlackScholarsPublishing.com That uh, we should get our own. Once we have our own, uh, we're respected for the fact that we can create our own. And uh, that's equality right there. Welcome back to the Black Scholars Podcast. I am your host, Leonard Andre Wilson Jr. Follow the Black Scholars Podcast on Instagram. It's a brand new Instagram at Black Scholars Podcast. Follow the Black Scholars Podcast on Twitter, YouTube, Facebook. Just type it in the search engine and you will find this podcast. Thank you for everyone who's been leaving reviews on the podcast. We've got five stars. That means that we're definitely doing something right. This is episode 40. We are continuing to analyze the America to Me docuseries, which is available on stars. Also, if you pay attention to the show notes or on social media, there are a couple of posts and information on how educators can watch this docuseries for free. So for this particular episode, we're going to take a look at episode six, which is called Listen to the Poem. My name is Charles Donaldson. I'm a junior from Oak Park and River Forest High School. And the title of my poem is Amazing. If I had to describe myself in one word, I know what I'd say. Amazing. Matter of fact, I'm so amazing, I could take Drake out of a midlife crisis. I'm so amazing, I make NASA look stupid the way I fly up to heaven and close the golden gates like revolving doors. And by the way, I'm so amazing, I could slam a revolving door and put up a sign outside that says, no black boys allowed. Because don't it make you nauseous when you hear the cops is killing color boys like they trying to offer God a dozen boxes of chocolates? They ain't gonna never taste like us. See, they're just imitating while we are Emmett Tilling and they don't know what we did, they just know that we black, so they gonna throw us in the pool of hope. They know that we ain't swimming up. Chlorine is killing us. No money for filters, cause all the funds going towards filling up coffins with black bodies. Look at what they did to us. Matter of fact, matter of fact, I'm so amazing. I turn repasts into birthdays because instead of being six feet deep, that boy is six feet tall with the will to be a Harvard graduate, color accurate, black panther, doctor, neuroscience innovator. They know we are not thugs or bums or high school dropouts or target practice. We are monarch majesties, pyramid building, slave plantation taking, million man marching, rulers of the country. We so amazing. We make white people cross the street and we put our hoods on. Arizona, a diploma, it doesn't matter what's in one hand because they know we have the world in the other and they feel just as threatened either way. 
So, a little bit after high school, definitely when I first started college, and I started off as a traditional college student at the age of 17. I went to St. Cloud State University in St. Cloud, Minnesota, about an hour and a half away from the Twin Cities. And I only stayed there for the summer semester. I didn't return in the fall. And the reason why I didn't is because I did not feel comfortable in that environment. There weren't many African Americans. There weren't many Hispanic Americans. And I grew up specifically in high school. I spent four years around African Americans and Hispanic Americans. Now, if you look at my group of friends, they were very, very diverse. I had several distinct group of friends. And in each group, there was a lot of diversity. And some of my best friends to this day, although we don't spend a lot of time together anymore, are Caucasians. They're white. But that doesn't matter. But it's important that you feel comfortable in your environment. And so to my point, after college, Well, actually, while I was in grad school, so yeah, still college, but after undergrad, and I guess at some point during undergrad, I I used to rap. I used to write lyrics. Um, I never fully committed to spoken word poetry, um, but I definitely focus on the art of lyricism, the notoriety, the the dexterity. That's the word I'm looking for. The dexterity that it takes to analyze your experience as an African-American, especially as an African-American male in this country, and to do so with skill and it still be catchy and you have different figurative language that you use, double, triple entendre, similes, metaphors, and I'm still a huge fan of hip-hop, I freestyle all of the time, and my son and daughter do the same because they got it from me. And hip-hop will always be uh, spoken word, poetry, poetry in general, will always be a part of me. Now, I am well into my 30s, and that creativity, that ingenuity that I had in that aspect has been transformed into entrepreneurship in terms of content creating. Whether I'm writing a book, I'm creating and publishing a podcast and podcast episodes, I'm creating YouTube content, even in ad copy, right? So my creativity is still there, it's just different. But what Charles did on that stage was extremely powerful. 
And if you listen to his last line or two, and as you watch this documentary, he's on stage. And he looks at one hand, and he says, either an Arizona or a diploma. And then he looks at his other hand, and he starts to ball his fists. And he says, or the world, they're going to be threatened anyway. Wow. And by Arizona, he's not referring to the state. He's referring to Trayvon Martin. He had an Arizona beverage. And he had a pack of Skittles. When he was unjustly murdered by George Zimmerman in Florida while he was in his father's neighborhood. Or a diploma. The K-12 system has been established and sustained in order to get a society of diploma earners. You earned a diploma this qualifies you for the next stage of life. We even see it in this episode when we talk about Jada. And Jada discusses the fact that she only earned a 17 on her ACT. Jada is highly intelligent, she's very well spoken. She's very studious. She's committed to her education. And so is her mother. And I would have to imagine the rest of her family are the exact same way. And she only earned a 17 on her ACT. And we see her in this episode looking for, or excuse me, applying for Colleges. And her dream school is Howard University. And she knew more than likely she wasn't going to get in to Howard University with the 17. And the thing that Jada said that made my heart drop and my blood boil a little bit is when Jada said if she knew about the ACT prep program then she would have performed better and so I have to step back and I have to ask why didn't Jada an African American teenager that goes to one of the top high schools in that area in, the, in or around that city in Oak Park River Forest High, why didn't she know about the ACT prep program? Not a course. 
She said program. That means there's more than just a course available and offered for students. Especially since, and this is also a part of episode six, we get to revisit the achievement gap at Oak Park River Forest High. There is no reason why any of the students, uh, specifically those who belong in a subgroup, to not know of the tools and resources available for them to improve, enhance, and better their lives. If a high school diploma is the purpose of K through 12, which will hopefully enable those students who have earned a high school diploma to further their education, to secure a viable, consistent livelihood, and an ability for them to participate in society in meaningful ways, to start a family, to be able to provide for that family, to be educated enough to read between the lines and to do research and to vote and participate in society to the fullest capacity, to be tax-paying citizens. It all starts with a high school diploma. So back to Charles's performance, whether it's an Arizona whether it's a diploma, looks at the other hand. They know the world is in our palm. They're threatened anyway. And when he says that very last line about the world being in our palm and he looks at his hands, And it's also in episode six. But I'm thinking of this coming from a writer's perspective. Specifically, as a black boy that could write and could write very well. And that's exactly what Charles is. He's a young man who's African American in a city nicknamed. Chirac, due to the violence that's happening every single day. And he can write, and he can speak, and he can create in creative ways and communicate and convey a deeper message. That's impactful. That's important. That's a gift from God. That Charles has. And in episode six, they show him practicing this, creating this, 
in preparation for the tournament that Oak Park River Forest, their spoken word team, was a part of. And Charles is saying, you know, we hear about slavery, we hear about slaves, but it's deeper than that. The African empires that we were a part of is deeper than that. And it doesn't make any sense in our curriculum why we have U.S. history in very specific states. You have state history. You have, quote-unquote, world history. Why don't we have African history? Not even African-American studies. Because African-American studies is going to talk about slavery. Black, white, brown, purple, green. All of our kids know about slavery. There's been enough slave movies to last us a lifetime. We don't need any more slave classes, slave movies, slave books. Anything with the content focused on American slavery. We don't need any of that. We need African, Africana, um, African diaspora studies in high schools. Along with financial literacy. And financial literacy should be a part of elementary school and middle school curriculum as well. I won't lie to you guys. I'm tired. I'm very tired. And I'm tired from the perspective of this documentary was recorded and filmed in 2015-2016. I believe it came out officially in 2018. And here I am two years later breaking it down. But everything that we could complain about everything wrong with the status quo. The way that things are. It's still the same. Chicago is still a very violent place, along with similar cities of its size. Police brutality is still an issue. Politics is still based on bureaucracy and involves a, a bit of yellow journalism to cover hidden agendas. To be frank, it's still corrupt. The K-12 through system, and of course now we're dealing with the coronavirus, it's still not doing what it's supposed to be doing for our communities. It's not doing for this society, for this nation. We still don't have equitable terms and arrangements for all of our students. And it's not just a black and brown thing. We have to make it a black and brown thing because those subgroups are the most disproportionately affected. The most directly affected. Impacted. If America gets a cold, 
black America, brown America, we get pneumonia. And I know this isn't a platform to go on a historical rant. You guys are highly intelligent. You can do the research yourselves. I'll just always use illusions as a literary tactic to refer to what you should know. Listening to Charles and his words and his passion and his anger. Listening to the words conveyed during his performance inspires me. But I'm tired. I want the best for America. I want the best for the world. More importantly, I want what's best for our kids. We're trying to prepare them for the future, but we're not going to have much of a future if things continue on the same path that they are currently on. The other thing I want to highlight about episode six, and this was powerful, powerful stuff. Episode six to me was even better than episode five. And the reason I say that is because the stories from the cheerleaders. And let me explain. So in the beginning of episode six, the cheerleading coach, who's a white woman, and a majority of the cheerleaders are African-American. And she was explaining to the filmmakers that she doesn't allow her cheerleaders to dance, you know, while they're waiting to perform. So, you know, it's music being played during a competition. It's a popular radio song, probably hip hop. She doesn't let them sing loudly or dance. And we even had a scene where they mentioned something about the cheerleaders being too loud. All the way back to what Tierra said in either episode one or two about the black cheerleaders or the cheerleaders period at Oak Park River Forest have uh, a negative reputation as being ghetto, being loud, all of these things. And so for a white woman to look into a camera and to say, this is the reason why she doesn't allow the kids to be kids until she sees the other cheerleading groups and competing schools participate because of the negative stigma attached to black girls. Now, I might be overreacting, and I'm pretty sure I've alluded to this before, but I want to be explicit as possible when I say unless you have personally experienced it, meaning you are part of this culture, you are black or brown, we don't need you to control the perception of us. We are who we are, P. 
people are going to have prejudice and bias. I mean, we have it ourselves. As a black man, if I'm walking down the street, especially in my neighborhood, and I see a large group of white kids, I'm going to feel a certain type of way. Now, maybe that's ageism, but that's an example of prejudice, of bias. It's inherent. It's a part of humanity. The other part of humanity on the positive side, the mature side, the I'm not a racist side, is you should be able to check those things. So, honestly, I don't need this white woman, this white cheerleading coach, and I'm sure she has great intentions, but she needs someone around her, Miss Stovall maybe, Dr. Holland, to check her. If these 16, 17-year-olds, 15-year-olds want to dance to a popular Drake song at a cheerleading competition, let them do so. As far as the loud part, I mean, I'm like this with my own kids. I'm like this with my students. When we're going somewhere, when we're matriculating through the hallways, wherever we're going, you're going to be respectful and presentable and we're not going to be... And it has nothing to do with the race. But how she framed it in this episode, it very specifically has something to do with their race. And she's saying she's just getting them prepared for the real world. I disagree. Because the prejudice and the bias is going to be there anyway. So if you want to prepare these kids for the real world, let them be who they are and then have very candid conversations with them explaining what could happen as they get older or why you want them to you know, behave a certain way, to be professional, to be respectful at all times. They're old enough where you can have those candid conversations with them versus you trying to regulate their behavior simply because they're black and you're white. And, and I've said this before, and this is the last time I'm going to say this, dear white people, dear white educators, dear white philanthropists, White stakeholders, we do not need you to save us. We don't. It's not your goal. It should be your goal. It's not your mission. It's not your obligation. It's not your destiny. It's not your God-given purpose. It's not. And I find it very disrespectful that you try. Because even when you try, it's half-hearted. Again, go back to what Glenn Singleton says. The most liberal white person. Their activism, their outrage, only goes but to a point. To the point it starts to inconvenience them. So save it. We don't need white flight. We don't need a white savior. We got the same 24 hours in a day. There are a lot of inequities. There are a lot of inequalities. Give us that. Give us equity. 
revamp this K through 12 system that's not preparing our students to become successful adults. Jada is very intelligent. She scored a 17 on the ACT and there's an entire ACT program at her high school that she wasn't aware of. That's a failure on the part of the school. If you want to be a white savior, you make sure those black and brown babies are getting the education they're supposed to get. That's how you participate in this movement. I'm pissed. And so that's one experience. Then we get another experience about Kendall going door to door. And I'm proud of Kendall on this episode. He's working hard. He's working with his coach. His coach, remember, is one of the reading teachers that graduated and attended Oak Park River Forest. And so he's working with him on an off day, on a Saturday when nobody's there. And Kendall made the weight he was supposed to make. And he's lifting weights and he's running. He's doing the things he's supposed to do to uplift himself and enhance where he's supposed to be as far as the wrestling team. He's working hard. He has a goal and he's working toward that goal. I love it. But Kendall shows this experience with the filmmakers and he's explaining how it was a fundraiser. There was something going on where he was going door to door in his own neighborhood. And he was on the porch of one of his neighbor's houses. And the neighbor, I believe, runs out of the car. And he was reaching as if he had a gun on him. And the car was still was still on. The engine was still on. And he's yelling all types of things at Kendall. Like Kendall's trying to break in his home or commit a crime. And he's just going door to door for a good reason. And thankfully, Kendall's parents, his uncle and aunt, were there. They weren't too far away and they had to intervene. And Kendall said he was scared for his life because this neighbor was reaching down with his hand like he had a gun on him. And then we hear that again towards the end of this episode with Grant's dad. Something very similar happened to him as well. Overall in life, I have not been treated less favorably. But um, back when I was seven, I was at my Caucasian grandmother's house. And um, it was just like a normal, like mainly all white suburbs. And um, it was my dad's birthday. And so when he went to go take his morning walk, apparently some people called the cops on him saying that he had a gun on him. Five or six police cars converged on my position. And the officers jumped out of their vehicles with their guns, revolvers already drawn. And they yelled at me, 
where are the fucking guns? And I stopped walking. I slowly raised my hands in the air, open palm, and I said, my name is Miles Lee. I don't have any guns. I'm visiting with my family, my mother-in-law, and she lives on Colpart. And then they yelled again, where are the fucking guns? And that's when they cocked their pistols, and all they had to do was fire at that point. I was really scared Did at this point. Did you have point. a gun at your head at this point? No, not, not, at, not at this point. Oh, that um, comes next. I, I knew that I was just a few seconds away from something going wrong because there was about six or seven of them, and all it would take is one of them to think that I moved or flinched or did something to shoot. That's when they forced me to the ground. They had their, their, their pistols on me. There's some tears coming down my eyes because I'm thinking my sons are going to grow up without their father from this point on. Because oh, I, 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 I didn't see how I was going to get out of this alive. They looked at my ID. They looked at me. And then they picked me up and they said, we received a report that there was a nip. And that's when the officer stopped himself. That there was a black person running down the street with guns blazing. And I said, I don't have any guns. My name is Miles Lee. I didn't do anything wrong. If he wasn't calm and didn't make uh, the right decision, he would be dead. He wouldn't be alive today. So yeah, I was only seven, but I was still like completely scarred. And it was extremely scary. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. Listen to the poem. Whether we have an Arizona or a diploma or the world in our palm. They're going to be threatened anyways. Grant is still affected by that. Happened when he was seven. And he wasn't even physically there. It happened to his dad. But he's impacted by it. And he was seven years old. And he's telling this story now. He's a high school freshman. So he's what, 13, 14 years old? Six, seven years later, he remembers it like it was yesterday. Racism, discrimination, police brutality, bigotry. It's a part of education because education is a part of society. Education is the training ground for human beings and citizens to participate in society. Where are the diversity classes? Where are the classes on law, laws in general, on how to deal with law enforcement, on exploring what the judicial system is supposed to look like? I know you can say social studies, you can say history, but that's surface level. Again, to my point of the fact we need financial literacy, 
and we need African studies classes in high school and for the financial literacy, just K-12 period. We have to go deep. Our kids are capable of learning at a high percentage. It's not just about the foundation. It can't be. We have to give them more. Or the foundation needs to be deeper because the foundation that we are giving our kids is the reason why we have African-American students who are very bright, such as Jada, only earning a mere 17 on her ACT, which further perpetuates that 75-year gap that Amy Hill talked about on episode one. And so we haven't seen Amy Hill who is the Director of Assessment and, I believe, Instruction. We haven't seen her since Episode 1. She's back three months later at the School Board Instructional Committee meeting. According to Amy Hill, the data didn't support the idea that white parents pushed the school more to place their kids on the higher track. So look at the numbers. 76% of white students were already in honors classes. A mere 27% of African American students were in honors courses on the honors track. And we wonder, like I talked about with Dr. Foster on episode two, or about episode two, how there's a 75 year gap between black students and white students based on ACT composite scores at this high school. And you would be naive regardless of what grade you teach or what your position is in education as you're listening to this podcast. You would be naive to think that that achievement gap isn't everywhere. Whatever city you live in, middle of nowhere, Ohio, middle of nowhere, Idaho, big cities, Las Vegas, L.A., Detroit, Chicago, Memphis, Atlanta, Nashville, Dallas, Houston, Orlando, Tampa, Jackson, Mississippi, Jackson, Tennessee, small town, big town, big city, small city, medium size, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Doesn't matter where you live. This exists everywhere. So to the point of Dr. Jackie Moore, who is the only African-American woman on this school board, and she doesn't trust what Amy Hill is selling, where's the sense of urgency? What I thought was interesting on episode six is a uh, interview a former principal of Oak Park, River Hill. And white guy, and now they have a, a black principal. And when I mention race, I don't want anyone to think I mention race um, from a perspective of something racist. When I mention race, it's just an identifier. It's just an identifier. Before this series, which aligns to the docu-series, we're talking about race and diversity. 
So I have to identify them somehow because it's important. It's important in us analyzing and understanding exactly what's going on here. Because what's going on at Oak Park is going on everywhere. And again, this is 2015, 2016. We are now in 2020. Nothing has changed except now we're in the middle of a global pandemic. That's it. The achievement gap still exists. Inequality still exists. Poor schools getting the worst teachers still exists. The Department of Education, federal or statewide, in many states across this country, are still in up and out of touch with what they should be doing from a legislation perspective and how they can support school districts and schools, teachers, guidance counselors, parents, stakeholders, most importantly, students. Schools are still not doing, like I said last episode, what they're supposed to do, which is they're supposed to provide comprehensive services. The reason why they don't provide comprehensive services, part of it, you guessed it, inequity and equality. Funding. In order to offer comprehensive services, you need money. And you also need people who care genuinely, without a hidden agenda, what they are doing. In or actually know what they're supposed to do. It's easy to know, okay, I'm a principal, I've taken this exam, I'm licensed, I'm certified. My focus is on our kids doing great on whatever numbers that is. And for high school, that's ACT numbers and graduation rates. For middle school, it's whatever state assessment you have to take. Elementary school, whatever state assessment your kids have to take at the end of the year. That's what our school leaders and classroom teachers, all educators, are focused on. But it needs to be deeper than that. Because we're not even doing a good job. If we're honest, we're not doing a good job at that. I'm in the state of Tennessee. The game we play here is we're trying to show growth. Has has a kid improved based on last year, which is based on a prediction, based on their last three assessment performances? So then the state makes a prediction and every principal, assistant principal, teacher, guidance counselor, interventionist, special ed teacher, they focus on that number and getting that kid to that number. That's not true education. That's not true education. So everything that's going on in this documentary, I hope you guys are taking notes, you're watching it, and you're using this platform that we've built up together to help you make your own distinctions and come to your own conclusions. These are mine. You, you're going to watch it. You might feel something totally different. But this is a part of it. This is why I'm doing it, because I want us to be able to have an open dialogue. We're almost like a think tank. This is an educational think tank. We're trying to figure this out.
It's the purpose of the show. I'm trying to help black and brown educators and scholars do the work they have been called to do. And it motivates me. Just as much knowledge as I give out, I get, I get it back from you guys. So I appreciate you guys. There were a few other um, things that happened in this episode. I'm not going to go into them. Um, I want to save that for next time. Because I want to see what continues and what doesn't. But this has been excellent. Again, listen to the poem. Episode 6. I'm out. And don't forget to visit Black Scholars Clothing. You can now shop there through blackscholarsclothing.com. Again, visit blackscholarsclothing.com. Use promo code SCHOLARS to save 15%. Love you guys. What can I say? Mamba out. Thank you for listening to the Black Scholars Podcast. For more information, go to blackscholarspublishing.com. You just gotta go. You will never know what you could ever be. If you never try, you will never see. Stayed in Africa, we ain't never leave. So the ones don't sleep in our history.